Welcome in family and friends to the newest episode of Fish Bites, a Fish Stripes SB Nation production, also heard via Slam Radio XM, Sirius XM, Channel 145 on Mondays. My name is, of course, Danny Martinez, and I know that you are out there, and I thank you for being out there and choosing to listen to us. I say that because we never really know, at least I don't personally know, how many people are listening to us. I have a good idea. I have a good concept from the fact that I I get a lot of emails and I get a good amount of feedback from it, and the reality is that I keep doing it because of that. But these last few weeks, I was given a better understanding of how great this fan base really is. Because if you remember, a few weeks ago, I introduced the Fishies, right? Kind of a sell-off and a a route-off of the Emmys. That's Eli's idea, completely trademarked by him. The Fishies was the uh, 2019 awards for the Marlins. And I told you all to go and vote And almost 3,000 votes were collected across the polls. And you might sit back for a second and say, hey, 3,000 is a nice number, but that's not actually that impressive. Well, here's the catch. It could have and it should have been a lot more if your host over here wasn't so uh, dumb all the time. Because I capped off the polls at 24 hours. I capped off the poll in one day. And you guys still gave me 3,000 votes. I can only imagine that it would have been double or triple the amount if I had done what I should have done, which is have the polls open for a full seven days or the maximum that that it's allowed for us to have the, the polls going. But I was dumb. I don't know what I was thinking. Maybe I was just sad the season was coming to an end and I capped it at 24 hours. By the time I realized that I had capped it at 24 hours, so many votes had already come through. So many conversations had taken place that I didn't want to redo it and I didn't want to skew the numbers by then putting another vote and another poll out. So we are going to work with the 3,000 votes that were sent our way. And of course, I want to thank you for that. And we're going to talk about the results. You guys gave me a lot of really good results that I agree with and then some results that I don't agree with, but that after seeing them, you may have persuaded me with your vote. So that'll be the first thing that we talk about, but not the only thing that we're going to discuss today because we have two other topics. The second thing that we're going to cover is based off of a uh, article that was published over the weekend on fishstripes.com. I'm the author of that piece. It was taking a look at what the 2019 uh, Marlins attendance figures tell us tell the organization the good the bad and the indifferent as always on this show it's more of a summary it's more of a talking point situation because i want you to go on fishstripes.com and read the content yourself but it's something that we're going to discuss today so make sure to stay after you hear the voting results so that you can hear what the numbers tell us again some good that you might have not thought of by just looking at the numbers and then what needs to improve and then third an email question from one of the listeners thank you for all of you that continue to send me email questions uh, regarding donnie baseball's extension I was very clear on last week's episode that this is likely something I would not have done if I was quote-unquote Danny GM, but that that's why I'm not Danny GM. There are fields in my life that I am absolutely an expert in, in my own personal career. I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in what the Marlins should or should not have done. So after a lengthy body of that email, and I like lengthy bodies of emails, so don't worry, you don't have to be concise for me, the final question was... Since you're not entirely in favor of it, but you understand how some of us appreciate it, what is it that you are looking for uh, Donnie Baseball to change that might be an indicator that he's grown or that he's just more in line with the way that you're thinking about baseball? Basically, what is it that Danny thinks in 2020 the managerial position should be more careful with. And I'm going to give you that conversation. It'll be towards the end of the show. Uh, It's something that the Braves are good at. It's something that uh, the top organizations in baseball are good at, that the Marlins are very bad at. So stick around to hear that conversation. I'm sure the, the person that sent the email will, but for the rest of you, 
be interested. It's something very, very clear and concise to look at in 2020 with Donnie Baseball. But we're going to get into the fishies, into the results, right? These votes came from you. I didn't have one vote in this. Uh, my wife voted. So I don't know if, you know, maybe maybe I, I influenced her vote. But this comes straightly, straight from you guys. Just to remind you, the options were top starting pitcher, the brackets were top starting pitcher, top relief pitcher, top hitter, most improved Marlin for the year, most disappointing, biggest surprise of the year, gold glove recipient, fish stripes captain, rookie of the year, moment of the year, and of course we wrapped it up with MVP, most valuable player of the year. And each selection had three player designation options and then an other where you can write in. Now, spoiler alert, alert no one voted enough for other. So we're not going to talk about the others or the write-ins at this in this episode, but you can go ahead and check on fishstripes.com and on my Twitter account at M underscore MIA, and you could see some of the write-in votes. But for the most part, or for the entire portion of it, the three candidates we put out were the ones that people wanted to vote for. So let's start off with top starting pitcher for your 2019 Miami Marlins. The candidates here were listed as Caleb Smith, Sandy Alcantara, and Pablo Lopez. Uh, Pablo Lopez didn't get many votes, and that's not a surprise here, right? Pablo has had an inconsistent year. Some of the analytics tell us that his year should look better than the actual performance but the reality is that the performance has been inconsistent and it's something that he needs to work on moving forward be a little bit more aggressive trust his stuff a little more things that we started to see from the player that you all decided in a strong majority to vote for the top starting pitcher of your Miami Marlins which is also your 2019 all-star Sandy Alcantara Sandy Alcantara deserves this vote, and I'm in 100% agreement with you. So we start off on a good foot. You and I are dancing to the same tune. Sandy Alcantara was more aggressive this year. He used his movement better. His sinker was disgusting. He yielded so many clutch double play balls, which go against the analytics, but speak to the pitcher that he is. He is almost at an elite level when you look at baseball savant stat cast in producing weak contact. People do not bear up baseballs against Sandy Alcantara's velocity and against Sandy Alcantara's movement. It does not happen. So yes, his K numbers aren't where they should be. Yes, his his contact rate is higher than you would like it to be. But Sandy Alcantara was absolutely your best pitcher. And ironically enough, he was your most consistent. And I say ironic because the critics... Uh, started this year by saying, oh, well, Sandy's just going to eventually be a bullpen piece. Sandy might be an elite closer one day, but that's all, which is really just a backhanded compliment that they give a young prospect that they feel is going to fail as a starting piece rotation. Well, he didn't. He he edged out by a good amount the second place, the runner-up here in Caleb Smith, who basically uh, could not repeat his first-half dominance. You know, there were parts of the year where he was the ace, absolutely, where he could have been the all-star selection, but inconsistencies happen. The home run ball happened. You know, Sandy doesn't get hit hard. Caleb hit gets hit hard a lot. And when he gets hit, it gets out of the ballpark. So Caleb Smith is a runner-up here, and Sandy Alcantara is absolutely your 2019 top starting pitcher for the Miami Marlins, and I completely agree with you. We are in sync. Top relief pitcher, I think you're not going to blame me if I spend about 10 seconds on this on this selection, but congratulations, Yarling Garcia got the vote. The options here were Yarling Garcia, Austin Bryce, and Tyler Kinley. You know, it's just not it's not the best unit in, in the team. Let's put it like that. There's going to be a lot of turnover in the bullpen. I would imagine they go after some savvy. I would not overspend in free agency on bullpen pieces. Very volatile. But some savvy moves this offseason to solidify the bullpen a bit and to stop breaking the hearts of our starting pitchers who have the lead after six or seven. And then, whoop, there you go. No decision. I would imagine that that happens, but since I've already spent about 15 more seconds than I was going to, just one more congratulations to Yarlin Garcia, who took this designation per the fans. Your next one, top hitter. This one's good too. 
This one's interesting because very similar to top starting pitcher, there were times where you could have gone back and forth between your designations throughout the year. But I believe that you guys hit it on the mark when we're trying to look at the entire year of production. The options were Harold Ramirez, Brian Anderson, and Garrett Cooper. And Brian Anderson was your winner. Uh, completely agreed. Completely agree. Harold Ramirez has possibly uh, been more consistently elevated of a hitter. But his peak was never at what Brian Anderson's was throughout this year. And if Brian Anderson does not get hurt to end the season, this isn't even a close selection. As a matter of fact, if Cooper doesn't get hurt to end the season, the runner-up might have not even been a close selection. Because at that point, you're looking at Brian Anderson, Garrett Cooper, and then Harold coming in at third. But that wasn't the case because of Cooper's injury. Nonetheless, what you're here to listen to is the winner. And the winner absolutely should be and is Brian Anderson, the top hitter for the 2019 Miami Marlins, the player who, unless the Marlins go crazy in free agency, will be the best core player moving forward, will be the best player that Donnie Baseball can pencil into his lineup on opening day 2020, whether it's at third or whether it's at right field or wherever else they want to place this man. Brian Anderson is your best hitter on the Miami Marlins. So far, we are three for three. We agree on everything. Top starting pitcher, top relief pitcher, and top hitter for your fish. But the streak has to end sometime. The tune, the song has to change. And this is where it's going to change because... Man, we disagree on most improved. Most improved uh, for the year, the options were shortstop Miguel Rojas, first baseman Garrett Cooper, and Sandy Alcantara. And wow, I couldn't have disagreed more with this selection. And, and clearly, that makes me into the minority, and I like this. I like the fact that we're not lockstep this entire time, because goodness gracious, that would be a boring episode. But here's the way I would have gone with it. And then I'll let you know the way that you guys ended up voting. I likely would have gone with Miguel Rojas first. Because I truly believe that he is the one who separated himself in status this year more than anyone else. He comes into this year as a good to great utility player. Who's going to be on the major league roster, but nah, whatever. Riddle will be the starter. Or someone else will come along. Or when they trade for Jazz Chisholm, you know, he's going to be the guy starting next year even if we have to rush him. Uh, not not, not so much anymore because Miguel Rojas has elevated his game both defensively and more importantly, offensively to the point where he is one of the top 15 shortstops when we're looking at defensive value and when we're looking at some of the offensive metrics as well in a position that is very deep offensively. That would have been the guy who I think solidified himself as most improved because he took himself from a utility player that might not be here to a man who just signed a multi-year extension with the organization. So that would have been my pick. But even then, even then, if I said, okay, well, my, run, my runner-up would be, it would be Sandy. It would be Sandy, who you guys voted as the third option here. I think that very similar to Miguel Rojas, he changed his outcome and his status, not only of the Marlins rotation, not only of the Marlins organization, but of his career and his life more than anyone else not named Miguel Rojas this year. From, again, that backhanded compliment of, oh, maybe he could be a solid back end or bullpen or back end of the bullpen piece, to now possibly being the opening day starter of 2020. Someone who you can see and you can envision pairing with Sixto Sanchez, that elite prospect, who many people are going to be reminded of a Johnny Cueto or, or um, Pedro Martinez when you see him come up. But just wait for that. That's a conversation for next year. You could pair them up as a 1-2 or as a 1-2-3 with an Eddie Cabrera or Nick Neidert, whoever's going to come on up, Pablo Lopez. Sandy is, is impressive, but that's not even who you guys chose, not even as the runner-up. Your selection was Garrett Cooper. And quite frankly, you know, I disagree, and that's okay. I'm allowed to disagree. But as I think more about it, uh, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right because the same kind of argument that I can make for Miguel Rojas and for Sandy Alcantara, I can make for a Garrett Cooper. Coop wasn't even assured a spot on the roster. Coop wasn't even assured a spot on the 40, let alone the 25. 
we were having conversations about whether it would be him or Peter O'Brien who's going to be starting on opening day. And a few months later, we're having conversations about not even having to sign a Jose Abreu or Nick Castellanos because we have a younger option at first who can also play right field in a Garrett Cooper. So I, I don't disagree entirely. I think I would hold on. I would I would stand my ground a bit, and I would say that Miguel Rojas should have been the selection here. But that's why this isn't my voice. This is the voice of the fan. So your 2019 most improved player, Garrett Cooper. Most disappointing. You know, we kind of were dancing to a different tune one selection ago, but I think we're going to be pretty in sync and on beat with this one. Because the reality is that there's no other selection. You don't even need to know the options. Go back to the other episode to know what the other options was. The answer here is Lewis Brinson. Right? You guys chose it. I agree. And this really is a testament to the talent and the expectations that Lewis Brinson has on his shoulders. And also to the fact that he's failed to meet them. He he had so much pressure on him. I can only imagine the mental aspect of what he's gone through over the last few years. But nonetheless, when you have that pressure on you and you regress from what was already an awful year in 2018, you're likely going to be the most disappointing player. I won't spend too much time on here because the last thing I'm here to do is throw dirt on someone who's having a tough go at it. But I'll say this. The good thing about being the most disappointing is that you're one year away from being the most improved and the comeback story of the year. I don't know what Lewis Brinson is going through. I know that I'm not someone who's going to give up on a 25-year-old with that type of toolkit that he has as a prospect profile and as a young player. I think we have to reassess what he can be like Eli Sussman so incredibly well wrote up, uh, within the last month. However, go be that next most improved. This year, Lewis Brinson's your 2019 most disappointing player. From disappointing to surprise, and I'll try to change my tune here a bit because, oh man, I love the people on this list. The options were Jordan Yamamoto, who is flirting and was flirting until his last start with strikeout records for rookies that Jose Fernandez holds. So just think about that for a second. And then consider the fact that he's also 23 and he will still be 23 on opening day 2020. Think about it. Jordan Yamamoto was one of the options. Magnera Sierra had a great year at the minor league level, came up to the major league level, and generalized what he did, hitting over 300, showing incredible speed on the base paths. He was another option. And then the late 20s journeyman, John Bleeping Birdie, who is your 2019 biggest surprise for the Miami Marlins, the Fishies. Absolutely. I mean, come on. No contest. For as great as Jordan Yamamoto and as fun as he's been, John Birdie has to be your biggest surprise. You could not convince me, unless you were part of John Birdie's family, that you had him projected to have this type of year and to finish the 2019 season as someone who people that I greatly respect in talking baseball like Luke Simpson have pegged as a potential uh, piece moving forward for the fish, maybe opening day, uh, starting shortstop even, or starting center fielder. John Birdie has raised his stock probably more than anyone, even those that we called most improved. So John Bleeping Birdie, absolutely good, sir. And of course, I agree with the fans on this one. Your 2019 biggest surprise. So we're, we're, we're picking up rhythm again. We're picking up rhythm. And we're going to lose it. Because for the Gold Glove recipient, we had an interesting dynamic here of analytics versus the eye test. And I likely would not have gone with the eye test here, but you guys did. Which led to my third selection in this bracket actually being the guys who you chose first. Or the guy that you chose first, rather. So what were the options? The op options were Miguel Rojas, Brian Anderson, and George Alfaro. And here's that conversation that I'm talking about with analytics and eye test. Analytics tell us that Miguel Rojas had the best defensive value when looking at multiple defensive metrics out of the three. Here's an 0-2 pitch. This one is played over there. It's short by Rojas along oh. Cooper stays on the bag. What a job by Miggy Rojas. And that second came George Alfaro. That George Alfaro is the second best defensive player on this team, and that's even including a slight regression in his framing from last year to this year. 
And third is then Brian Anderson. But first in your eyes. And you know what? I agree. I agree. I agree, and this is why. If there's one thing that we can talk about, analytics just not being on par or ready to assess yet, in my opinion, it is defensive metrics. Defensive metrics are just ridiculous ridiculously volatile you look at uh, baseball references war and then you look at fan graphs war and the biggest difference that you see in a player that has a one win war difference which is significant is usually the way that those sites and those analytics measure the defensive value brian anderson when you go to a baseball game and you're not a, a statistician and you're not an analytical person and you watch that team you say that that man knows how to play defense you say that that man could be a gold glover at third base and at right field. If I were to tell you that the analytics sometimes aren't as nice to him as they are to Miguel Rojas or George Afro, you would probably call me a nerd and I wouldn't be upset about it. Because the reality is, is that the more that I even think about it as I'm having this conversation, Brian Anderson is the right selection here. Brian Anderson's value defensively at third and at right field outweighs what Miguel Rojas did at short and outweighs what George did at catcher in the backstop. And yet it's so funny because analytically he would be the third piece. Yeah, well, screw analytics today. Your gold glove recipient for the 2019 Miami Marlins, absolutely, Brian Anderson. Four designations left. Our fish stripes captain, which is basically the leader of the team, the rookie of the year, the moment of the year, and our most valuable player. I have an inclination, ladies and gentlemen, that we're going to go four for four with these selections, and that we're going to end up with our last dance being a good one, because I think you're on the same wavelength as me. Fist Stripes, Captain of the Year. Martin Prado is a fantastic leader. Make sure you go listen to his uh, interview with Craig Mish on Swings and Mishes. Curtis Granderson is a fantastic leader and person. But the leader and the captain of this team, the fist stripes captain, the guy who would be wearing the C on his chest if this was hockey or football, is absolutely Miguel Rojas. Absolutely Miguel Rojas. If we could wear that captain, uh, that C on his chest, he would have seven. You know how, how the Dolphins, or rather in football, the stars are golden every year that he's the captain? Well, by 2021 or 2022, if he's still here, he needs to have them all gold. Because Miguel Rojas is the leader in that clubhouse, and here's what separates him from a Granderson or a Prado. He does it on the field at this point in his career as well. Prado and Granderson have had amazing careers, so this isn't a knock on them. But at this moment, in this year, the year of 2019, Miguel Rojas is the only leader on this team that also backs up his talk on the field. And for that, without any hesitation from either you guys or from me, he is your 2019 Fist Stripes captain. There is no better example of what kind of player that we want and how how much better you can get and i think sometimes guys get caught thinking oh, i got to the big leagues i'm good enough and miggy's a perfect example if you'll continue to work and continue to get a little better every day and continue to just persevere that what you can become on the other side of the ball uh so i have nothing but respect for this kid and the way he does things and i'm so glad that he's going to be back with us how about your rookie of the year? The rookie of the year is a fun one, too, because you have one guy on the mound in Sandy Alcantara who could be the choice. You have one guy on in the batter's box in a Harold Ramirez who could be the choice. And then again, you have John Bleep and Birdie, who doesn't even belong in these conversations, if you asked me six months ago, who just decided to cause havoc on all of these selections because you could put him in any of these brackets. Now, John Birdie is a great story, but he did not end up being either the winner or the runner-up here. The, the selection came between Sandy Alcantara and Harold Ramirez, and once again, we're on the same beat because I agree with you. Harold Ramirez had a great year, but he is Mr. Runner-up to a Sandy Alcantara. We've discussed both of them in top hitters and in most improved and in top starting pitchers. So we're not going to discuss too, we're not going to push the envelope too far here. But what Sandy Alcantara did this year, what he proved to his skeptics, what he proved to his team and the organization absolutely allows him to be rookie of the year. Now he won't get a single vote in the actual national league rookie of the year, because that belongs to Pete Alonso, 
okay? And I know this is a Marlins podcast and a, a Marlins show, but, you know, if, if, if there is one single vote, one single first place vote from these writers that does not go to P. Alonzo, you need to throw out the system. Because he's the National League Rookie of the Year. But when you're talking about Sandy Alcantran, you're talking about the Marlins. It's a match made in pitching heaven. Marlins, Rookie of the Year, 2019, Sandy Alcantara. The last two, moment of the year. This was the most exciting and conversation-inducing <laughs> poll that we put out. And it was interesting because it proved something that I had been thinking, but I didn't want to say it because then I would be called a homer. That I've been thinking this entire year, which is that for a 100-loss season, this has been fun. <laughs> Look, make no mistake about it. There are games where I'm sure you at home clicked, and it's the bottom of the second, and the team is down 7-0, and you clicked it back to law and order. And I don't blame you. But... There were seas, there were parts this year where it was another Harold Ramirez walk-off, where we were dropping two touchdown on the Brewers, when Isan Diaz's dad was going berserk because they just homered off the Grom. There were parts this year where Sandy Alcantara shoved it to his critics and had a dominant inning at the All-Star game. And all of these options were just four or three of the 15, 16 options that people flooded my timeline with. Because it's true. The Miami Marlins, if you look at the box score and you look at the standings, I get it. That looks like a really boring year, but that's not the case. The Fish really gave their fans a lot to cheer for this year and a lot of excitement. And this was one of the most voted for polls. The, the winner was the TV magic with Isan Diaz hitting a home run while his dad's being interviewed. Because you can't beat that, okay? Garrett Cooper hitting a grand slam was great, but that happened in the middle of the day. You know, but slapping two touchdowns on the Packers over there in Milwaukee. The Brewers. Yeah, that was great too. Slapping the Brewers social media team over and over again. Whoever's on the social media for the Marlins needs a raise. Okay, I don't care if, if they had a uh, you know, a, a joke that was inappropriate, I guess, with with the Rays uh, and with that gentleman who I'm losing his name, Steve Irwin, I believe. Yeah, no, the person who's there needs a raise because they've been fantastic here. So that was great too. And seeing Sandy pitch and be dominant, throwing 101 against the AL was fantastic. But now nah, the selection here is Isan Diaz. Selection here is Isan Diaz hitting a homer in his first day in the big leagues off of the Cy Young with his father being interviewed. You're not going to beat that ever. <laughs> you know, if the Marlins didn't have, unfortunately, that tragedy that led to that amazing moment with D. Gordon, this might be one of the best TV moments of the franchise. Outside of winning it all, of course. So, you know, it's it's great. It's great that we had a lot to cheer for in a 100-loss season, as uh, oxymoronic as that might sound. But moment of the year definitely goes to Isan Diaz hitting a home run with his dad being interviewed. And we're going to finish it up with most valuable player. And this one, again, should be incredibly obvious. And you know what the response is. Extend the 2019 Miami Marlins most valuable player, Brian Anderson, now. Extend him now. You extended the other option on this list, which was Miguel Rojas, and Sandy Alcantara should be in line for an extension if he repeats next year what he did this year. But Brian Anderson needs to be extended by the time that opening day 2020 is here. I already took off that day with my employer. I'm ready. So I don't know if you could do that. I don't know how far in advance you could take off a day for your employer. Make sure you take off that Thursday. I think it's March 26th. If I'm incorrect, you know, just send me an email. You guys send me emails all the time for my corrections. So I'm okay with that. But but take off the day and, and, and go to that opening day. And by the time that you're there and you're cheering for Brian Anderson when they announce him at third or at right field, he should be a little richer than he is right now. Brian Anderson is your 2019 MVP of the year, and there's no doubt about it. What he does defensively, like your selection showed, what he does offensively, like your top hitter showed, is the reason that he's the MVP. He is one of the best defensive third basemen in all of baseball. He backed it up with power this year, with slugging, with isolated power. 
everything you want from a Brian Anderson, everything that you want from a quarter piece, from a centerpiece, from a rebuilding team, from your own Freddie Freeman. And no, I'm not saying that he's on the caliber of Freddie Freeman. I'm not saying that. But from the competent core veteran piece who's going to lead this team to when they're successful and every single young prospect comes up and knows who that person is. From that perspective, you got yourself Brian Anderson. MVP, without a doubt in my mind, book it. Struggled last time out. That's a pass, Machado, and down the line. Yachty around third. Brian Anderson is the hero today. The Marlins with a walk-off win. And Miami Marlins, pay the men. So what do you think? How did you do? Is there any, uh, any particular ones that you disagree with heavily? Any ones that you think that I'm off my uh, wagon here for disagreeing with you? Or is there anyone that we all got wrong? All the fans, all the 3,000 votes, and myself that you think should have been there? Of course, let me know at Danny M underscore MIA or at fiststripes.com. But do not hit stop quite yet because like I mentioned in the beginning, we have two conversations in peace. Two conversation pieces in place, rather, that I really want to get to. The first one is off of the article that I published over the weekend on fishstripes.com. What does the 2019 Marlins attendance figures tell us? The Marlins had their last homestand. We now know the attendance figures for the year. We know if there is an increase, if there is a decrease average per game. And, and the conversation piece is exactly what the title is. What does this tell us? And what what might we be missing and not understanding of the context of that when we first look at the numbers and here's here's the piece and again i told you you know this is a summary because i want you to go and read it here are the two pieces that i want you to think of before we go into the conversation the first one is something i've stated before which is remember that due to revenue sharing you know attendance is simply not the primary piece of the profit pie and the budget pie chart anymore. It just isn't. It just isn't. Before, if you weren't drawing in fans, your your team was going to go bankrupt. Just forget it. It was going to be done. That's just not the case anymore. Are the Marlins possibly losing money? Sure. Let's wait till the Forbes report comes out in a year. But it's not the drastic situation that it was before. It simply isn't because of revenue sharing. That's the first point. The second point is what I have said it over, stated over and over again. And I think one, at one day you guys are going to get it or you're going to tell other people so that people stop not knowing this, which is that the Marlins new regime measures and reports the attendance rates differently than every other team in all of sports. Almost sure there's a sum that, that report it uh, without the inflation, without the giveaways, without the no shows. But the Loria Marlins were not one of them. So when we see a huge decrease in the reported numbers, it is because the new regime is showing you actual attendance rates. This is not inside information. This is not something from another reporter. This is from Forbes and from the Marlins. This is public knowledge. Okay, The Marlins only report if you paid for your seat and if you're sitting in those nice, beautiful ocean blue seats at the park. If you were a giveaway, you do not count. If you if you have a ticket, but you were a no-show, you do not count. Forbes in 2018 stated that the, the rates or the attendance figures for 2018, the real attendance was exactly the same. They said approximately a flat change, so nothing, no, there's no change, from 2017. But the reported numbers were almost cut in half because the Marlin era of before would almost double those numbers with giveaways and with no-shows. In order to make the, the franchise, I guess, look a little bit more hospitable for the purchasers or just to not be embarrassed. I don't know. You choose your fiddle and whichever way you want to play it. But when Forbes says that, when the Marlins back that up, I'm going to choose to believe them. So remember that when we're talking about attendance figures. Also remember that the Marlins are beating and competing against themselves. Because when we're talking about attendance and they're the only ones that report attendance like this, it's really incredibly unjust to do what so many people do, even in the media, and compare it to the rest of the league who still inflates their numbers. For instance, hint, hint, no surprise, the Marlins had the worst attendance in baseball this year. 
But if you use the, the formula that Forbes is basically giving you, which is that you double it up and that's, that's what would have been reported prior or by other organizations, suddenly they have like the 24th or the 25th. It's still not good, but it's also not the worst. And it tells you something about the market. So those are the things that I want you to consider for the moment. But we're talking specifically about 2019 and 2018. What changed? Well, the good news is that there was a slight increase. More people paid for their tickets and showed up to Marlins games in 2019 than they did in 2018, which ironically means that more people showed up for Brian Anderson and Harold Ramirez than they did for JT Rumoto in 2018. And because remember, Forbes reported that it was flat from 2018 to 2017. And John Carlos Stanton and Christian Yelich and Marcelo Zuna and D. Gore and everyone else in 2017. Think about that. Think about that and tell me what it tells you. I know what it tells me. I want you to consider and you, you text me and you tweet me and you email me what that tells you. That the 2019 Marlins outdrew the 2017 fish. So don't give me the crocodile tears about the rebuild. Because people weren't showing up back then. If anything, people are showing up now. It tells you that the fan base, the ones that are here, actually get what's happening. Nonetheless, I get off my soapbox. There's a slight increase in the attendance from last year to this year. The bad thing is that it's literally, and you're going to think I'm joking, it is literally only an average of two more a game. An average of two more a game. Now, that's pathetic. I understand that that's pathetic. That's also good news. And here's why. Number one, it wasn't a decrease. Like many people, including a lot of writers that commented on the Fish Stripes article that we did in the preseason about attendance, many people said, Danny, you're off your chair. You're going bonkers. You must be zonked if you think that they're not going to lose attendance figures. Well, guess what? They didn't. They remained roughly flat with a slight increase. So they did not lose attendance figures. But here's what's more important. Everything about this season was set up for them to lose attendance figures. See, in 2018, they had three marquee series with the New York Yankees, Boston Red Sox, and Chicago Cubs. Now, you might be thinking, what are three series going to do? Well, 145,923 fans showed up for those three series alone. And a few of those series were actually only two-game series. I believe both the Red Sox and the Yankees were two-game series. And almost 150,000 people showed up. When you do the numbers, that is 18% of the 2018 total attendance was found in those three series. The Marlins had zero, zero series of trios, so three series put together that came even remotely close to 100,000. There's nothing there. The, 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 the schedule makers did them no favors this year. And it feels like cheating, like you're using the aura of another franchise. But, you know, just so you know, the Yankees and Red Sox and Cubs travel to the other teams, too. So it's a level playing field, except that this year the, Yank- the, the Marlins got none of those three series. And I had no three other series of 2019 that came close to bringing in 150,000 fans. So right off the bat, you are trying to recover 145,923 fans elsewhere because you don't have it from the Yankees, the Sox, or the Cubs. Something else to consider. You don't have the aura of having an elite player every day. 2018 Marlins still had JT Realmuto. They still had the best catcher in baseball. A casual fan might still come out to see the best catcher in baseball. The Marlins did not. They had an amazing Sandy Alcantara. They had a good three-run homers or whatever the case may be, or flashy plays from an Isan Diaz at the end of the year. They had a Pablo Lopez. They had elements, but they had not one player to the caliber of JT Riamuto where you could say, I'm going tonight just to watch him. So they're they're not only recovering 150,000 fans that they're not going to get from marquee series. They're also trying to convince people to come out for a superstar-less team. And they started out 10 and 31. Because that's the third thing I'd want you to consider here is imagine what would have happened if the Marlins played in March and April, like they ended up playing around June, July, and mid-year, where they were an above 500 team for about a quarter of the season. They were a well above 500 team for about a quarter of the season, but they had dug themselves such a hole at 10 and 31 that there was no way they were coming out. 
Sure, the diehard fan is still there. You're still there. I'm still there. But the casual guy is not getting up and going to see a 10-31 and 31 team. And when you start off at 10-31, and 31, I can guarantee you, I can guarantee you this from people with the Marlins, it's the worst thing that could have happened. If there's anything that they could ask for in twenty in twenty twenty is to start off, you know, thirty and ten or twenty and ten and watch what happens to attendance. First impressions matter, and the Marlins just slapped their first impression on this fan base in twenty nineteen. It makes a difference. And yet, with no marquee series, which meant that they had to work for hundred and fifty thousand extra people that were not there when it was the Yankees, Red Sox, and Cubs opening series without a superstar and with the team starting 10 and 31 the Marlins still had an increase in attendance that's promising all of a sudden the only 198 extra fans two ga- two fans per game seems a lot more impressive when you realize what they were up against when you realize that the outcome could have been a lot more dire that the outcome could have been not even just 198 fans less it could have been tens of thousands of fans less kudos to the fact that the fans came out kudos to those of you that listen to this podcast that know where the fish are going i'm gonna remember you i really promise you that i am when all of the casuals come back And kudos to the Marlins for what they did to their stadium, for the ticket prices decrease, for the increase in quality of food, for the rebranding. Kudos to them because that has a lot to do with the fact that they were able to have a slight increase even when those three factors were put up against them. Now let's make sure that that continues happening. And it continues happening with a few ways. One is if, for whatever reason, they kind of expedite this uh, rebuild and they spend in 2020 offseason instead of 2021. I am not personally a fan of that. I do think that they could spend wisely. They have to spend somehow. Uh, you know. But if you bring in a Jose Abreu and a Nick Castellanos or a Yasiel Puig, my goodness, all of a sudden now fans are going to come out a little bit more frequently. So that's the first thing they could do, which is kind of a cheap trick. right? Like, okay, we're spending, we're spending, come out to the game. It's risky because if you lose, it doesn't matter. The second thing you can do, which is the more important situation here and goes into our email question with Don Manningly, is guess what? They could win. They could win. If you start off 31 and 10, if you start off 15 and 10, if you start off 10 and 10, but you avoid 10 and 31, the numbers are going to go up. When you have the flashes of Isan Diaz, when you have the other prospects that come up, when you have a Sixto Sanchez, the numbers will go up. So if you win, if you compete, Miami will show up. I've documented this with the Heat. Go check the Heat's attendance before Dwayne Wade got drafted, and even the year he got drafted, and even the year after. And then look what happened when Shaq came. Go ahead and look. This will be a live in vivo experiment. What the Panthers' attendance is going to look like this year as they show that they've spent and they're winning. Look at the Mark Wright era for the uh, for the Hurricanes. Oh, I'm going to upset some Canes fans today. And go ahead and let me know about the attendance when they were oh so mighty against Notre Dame and then all of a sudden completely fall off and were trying to suffer against Central Michigan. This is Miami. If you want people to show up, you win. And part of winning in baseball is managerial decision, which is the third conversation piece today. Danny, what is it that you want Donnie to be doing differently next year? What is it that would be important to you? Well, here's one of the things that would be important to me. I'd like to see more consistency in lineup construction from the Marlins in 2020. I'm tired of watching the Marlins kind of play Russian roulette with their lineup every single day. And I understand that part of this comes from the fact that we do not have enough established players to say, well, he's hitting first every day, he's hitting second every day, and he's hitting third. I understand that there's injuries that take place and that there's below replacement level performances like from a Lewis Brinson that takes place in center field, where center field is just a revolving door. I I, I understand all of those points. I still don't care. By 2020, this team should be a little bit more competitive, 
should be a little bit more established. And Donnie Baseball and the analytics team needs to start having more solidified roster construction and lineup construction. The Marlins' most used lineup in 2019 was only used four times. Their most used lineup, which means that one through eight, they were the same. They only used that lineup four times. They've used 142 different lineups this year. Ten different players have let off the team, the game. Fourteen different players have been in the, in the two-hole, in the second hole behind the leadoff hitter. Which means you have had a combination of 24 different one-two punches in your lineup. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. And that's not the way that good teams do it. If you look at certain teams right now, you'll find that they have a lot of matchups and a lot of different lineups. The Dodgers and the Astros are both the best teams in baseball. And they have a lot of different lineups. But do you know why? Because they've been getting hurt the entire year. The Dodgers have one of the longest uh, injured lists in baseball, as do the Astros. But when their core is together, their one through four is the same. You have a lineup against lefties, you have a lineup against righties, and maybe one guy changes, two guys change, but you don't have 142 different combinations throughout the year like the Marlins have had. For instance, an example of a team that's been relatively as healthy as the Marlins and much more successful because of the talent, not because of the lineup construction, but because of the talent, are the Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves have had 32 games where their seven through eight or rather their one through eight but seven of the eight hitters is what i'm trying to get at have all been exactly the same the marlins have had four but more importantly remember how i said that the marlins have had 10 different leadoff hitters they've had 14 different players using the two hole and that goes on and on it gets to like 17 different players that have hit in the seventh hole the braves one two three and four spots only five hitters have hit in those spots across across the season. Now, there's four spots. Five hitters have hit across those spots. That's called consistency. That's called knowing every day that Ronald Acuna walks up, he knows where he's at. Freddie Freeman knows where he's at. Ozzy Albies knows where he's at. And I understand what you're saying, Danny. How can you compare the talent and the job that Snicker has with the Braves to what Mattingly has with the Marlins? I understand it's very different. I really do understand that. But then allow your players to become established. Don't have Isan Diaz hitting really well in the three-hole for three games or in the two-hole for four games. And then push him to the eighth spot because he strikes out two days, uh, two two at bats in a row or three at bats in a row one day. We saw that with with Lewis Sprinson his entire last year. The man hit all over the place. He let off. He was second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. And we're doing the same pattern with Isan Diaz. It's like it's like we we write someone up in the lineup, and if they don't hit a grand slam that day, all of a sudden they're being demoted down a few spots. No. It's my opinion. Don Don Manley knows baseball much more than I do. I, I really like Don Manley. I've said it the entire year. I like him as a person. I don't agree with some of the managerial things he does. Not sure that if I was hypothetical GM, he would have gotten the extension. But I understand why. And I understand that I bow down to him and his understanding of baseball. But it makes no conscientious sense to me to have 142 different lineups. 142. Over a year. No. And that, that number is going to grow over the... It'll be probably be 144 over the last two days. Allow your players to struggle in the position that they're at. Allow them to grow and develop at the position that they're at. And if it then becomes an issue, a long-term issue, then you make the change. But I'm tired of seeing... And it's already happened. Like, Isanti has been here a month and a half. I'm tired of him having three good, good, good games. And then going 0 for 4 the next day and he gets demoted down to the 7th hole or the 6th hole. I'm tired of it. So next year, that is something that I would like to see. Because the theory behind the extension, like I mentioned, is look, here is a more competent roster. Show us that you're the guy. We know that everyone loves you already. 
But here's a more competent roster shows you the guy. Well, part of that, part of that is when you have a more competent roster with more established players, stop moving Brian Anderson up and down the entire lineup. Put him at two, put him at three, put him at four, and he's done. Garrett Cooper, two, three, four, done. Harold Ramirez shouldn't be hitting eighth. I don't understand why he is, but whatever. Find yourself a leadoff hitter. If it's Miguel Rojas, leave him there. For the emailer, if you want one thing to look at from my perspective, it's lineup construction. We can talk about bullpen management. I, I can't even blame him for that. Even remotely. God, the bullpen's been awful. Can't blame him for that. Oh, well, he never makes the right call. Yeah, he doesn't make the right call because the pitcher doesn't make the right call. Because it's hindsight. It's not hindsight, however, that every time the Marlins media info sends me the lineup, I look at it and have to roll my eyes because, again, Isan Diaz has been moved. Or Harold Ramirez is hitting eighth. Or George Afro has been moved again. Stick with the lineup. Work with analytics. But I can guarantee you that there's not one analytical individual that is telling Don Manningly to move every single player every single game. A hundred 160 games, 142 different lineups. The Marlins need to have more consistency. The Marlins need to compete. Competing will allow for more fans to come out. And then all of a sudden, what we experienced here at home almost every Saturday, where the team was filled with energy, where it was another walk-off, where people left home smiling and laughing becomes the consistency of what it means to be a Miami Marlins fan. And man, do those of us that have stayed with this team deserve to experience that type of euphoria. I think you guys got it right with the fishies. I think that attendance will continue to climb as the team continues to climb. I believe that it's an okay call to make Donning Mattingly a person and a manager who the players love, the captain throughout these next two years. But look for a little bit more consistency as he starts to get some more consistency from his players. As always, family, I love you. I appreciate you. And I thank you for listening. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for all the interaction and all of the emails and all of the correspondence. I really do. I love this little family, and it's why I hope that this rebuild gives you all what you deserve. I appreciate you, and I'll be here next week. Go Fish. <laughs>